Jason and Allison sharing uh, their story, and we, uh, we, we wanted to film their story for a couple reasons, and as we got into it and looked at this uh, vision series, we're in the middle of a, a series on called Redemptive Relationships, and um, we're really looking at what is the vision and mission of the journey, what do we, what do we hope to do, and um, make sure you click that for me, man, so my, my timer will start. Um, but in that, we, we realized, man, we, we want to capture bits of their, kind of walk through their story and frame that up with each, each portion of this. And so what we're talking about is, you know, why, why we do church, why do we exist as the journey, what do we hope to accomplish? And, and really that's boiled down to this, like our world is broken, right? Like it's really clear and obvious. Nobody's arguing that fact. Our world is broken. Um, and if we're honest, like so are we. Like it's broken because we're in it, right? We're, we're part of that. But we believe here at The Journey that God is on the move and rewriting stories of brokenness through redemptive relationships. And so we want to join him in that here at The Journey. And so we believe those relationships can kind of be boiled down to three things. First of all, that each and every person on the earth, their brokenness begins to be healed by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're to be forgiven and loved and restored by Jesus himself. And then secondly, so much of what Jesus has for us happens not just uh, in, a, in a one-on-one way with God, that's an incredible thing we talked a lot about last week, but um, so much of what he has for us happens in community with one another. And so we believe that people not only need a relationship with God, but they also need uh, to be um, known and accepted by his people. Um, and so that's the part we're going to talk about today, and then next we're going to look at what, is, what does it mean to be relationally uh, on mission in our community, and, and all of those things, it's not step one, step two, step three, all of those things work together um, as a part of being saved, as a part of living the life that Jesus saved us into. We talked last week, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works, meaning he has a plan, a purpose, and he wants to use us to bring his kingdom to bear. Y'all have to learn that song that we sang first, by the way, like, we gotta, y'all were just not feeling that, but like, we're gonna, we're gonna feel that here as a church, like we're going to keep singing it in our prayer that, that God would build his kingdom here, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, all of this is, is tied together, that, that he has a purpose for us as he saves us into this life to be lived, lived with him. And we grow in our knowledge of him, we grow in our relationship with him, and we do that through living life with one another, being known, accepted by one another, and then being on mission relationally with people that God loves in the world. So today we're going to talk about community. And um, community is a bit of a buzzword. If you've been around church, you've probably heard it a lot. You've heard it at our church. You've heard it at a lot of other churches. And it, is, it really can kind of be, especially in the last, um, I don't know, decade and a half or so, the, the church growth, all this is talking about community, small groups, community groups, all of these things. And that's a shift from, you know, old format of Sunday school and all those. And, and, and it can kind of be like, okay, this is just the, the next church growth thing. But I, th- I think my, my hope is to let you see some insight is there, uh, there's actually a reason that that is being focused on so much. And, it, and it's not necessarily the church. It's the church actually responding to something that's happening in the culture. So in, in today's world, technology has, has provided us with an incredible amount of opportunities, right? And has advanced so many things and, and, it, and has allowed us in, in thousands of ways to be more connected than we've ever been in the, in the history of the world, right? Like I have a, a phone in my pocket that I can, I have instant access to any information that I want. It's incredible. And, and to any people that I want. Like, and, and so in so many ways, it's connected us like we've never been before. But in perhaps the most important ways, it's had the reverse effect and has actually isolated us. Um, 
this is really unique to history. If you think about it, like we are the first people in history that, that live in single family homes, that can work jobs that are completely mobile. Like if you think, you know, back just over, over history, you got hunter, hunter gatherers that were very much in a tribal culture that had to depend on one another, that had to live in an agrarian society where they were dependent upon the other person showing up and caring for and in this familial setting. And then the same is true as we move into, you know, this, uh, the age of, of farmers and the agrarian world. Like still there was this community and people weren't choosing their jobs necessarily back then. You were just kind of inheriting, right? Your family, whatever your family did, like you just, be, you just did that. And you were dependent not only on your family and, you know, two to three, four generations of families living in the same area or the same home, but also on your neighbor down the, down the road, right? Because if you're growing the corn and they don't grow the, the wheat or they don't provide the cattle, then, you know, like there's just all of this communal reliance upon each other. But the Industrial Revolution kind of shifted all that and then we moved to, to cities and and, and that's a, a significant shift, but the still, even in, in that world, the cities provided kind of a community base, an ethnic base, where there was still this sense of us, right? There's still this sense of living together, and, and some places still have that, but increasingly what we're having in today's world is something that we've never really seen, where we are increasingly mobile in our work, where we're not re- even required, many of us, to go to an office anymore to be present with others, and then Man, we're, we're driving into our garages, and the, the, the door comes down. We go inside of our house, and we've got a privacy fence, and we just live our lives completely disconnected from others, right? And this is new. Like, we've not seen this before in history, and, and it has an effect. And this is, not just from the, this is not just the church people talking. Like, this is not just something for the church people talking. Like, psychologists, like, you Google this, like, it, there's all kinds of buzz about loneliness and, and the rates of suicide and depression and, and the proportionality to wealth in a, in a country, in a community, the, the wealthier the society, the higher the rates of suicide, the higher the rates of depression. Um, and, and you can relate all of this stuff in some really interesting ways to the, this disconnection that happens as we become more and more independent, we become more and more isolated. Something has happened to us, not just, not just like mentally and emotionally, but also physically. Um, Former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy wrote in a Harvard Business Review article back in 2017, and she said this. She said, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. She was noting that the rate of loneliness in the U.S., they've, gone up, or they've doubled since the 1980s. Murthy called the condition a growing health epidemic and pointed to the research showing that loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that, listen to this, caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. Let me read that again. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan, which is similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day or even greater than what's associated with being obese. Not surprisingly, Feelings of, of isolation can also have a serious detrimental effect on one's mental and physical health. Loneliness can be a risk for, uh, increase your risk for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, among other critical diseases. Lonely people are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. She's at the root. She says isolation compromises immunity, increases the production of stress hormone, and is harmful to sleep. All of this feeds to chronic inflammation, which lowers immunity to the degree that lonely people even suffer more from the common cold. Loneliness can be a chronic stress condition that ages the body and causes damage to overall well-being. Just 
fascinating to, to look at the effects that we're having as, as we stare at our phones and we're connected to so much and so many people digitally, and yet the, the things that we need to just function as a physical human being are suffering at alarming rates as a result of the swing in this technical direction. And I'm not blaming it all on technology. I'm just saying we're in a, we're in a world and a time in history that we've not really seen before. And, um, and, and a lot of times we, we look at, we feel like we're connected to people because of social media, because of the friends we have, because of, we, we, we know more about people's lives nowadays, right? We know more about what they've done and what they're doing and how they're spending their day, but we know less people, right? We are known by and know less and have less actual, like, real, raw relationships. Um, I heard one author put it this way, that social media, uh, the connection that we feel from social media is a lot like going through a drive-thru and ordering junk. Like, we may get our stomachs full in that moment, right? Like, we, we, we've filled a, a, a hole and, and seemingly met a need, but in reality, we've not given our body any of the sustenance that it actually needs, right? So we're full for a moment, but it's this pseudo effect of feeling full and not actually getting the nutrients that that we need to survive and that's what we're experiencing as we as we get um, social media connected and less and less relationally connected so it's not just about loneliness though I don't want you to feel like oh well I'm not I don't really think of myself as lonely so I don't really need community um, I don't want you to feel like community groups and community and church is just a fix for lonely people I, I, I start here just to show us and to help us realize that what our psychologists are seeing trending in our world and the finding that they, they're seeing as they study it more and more should be leading, and not just psychologists, doctors, uh, should be leading us right back to God's word as the source for eternal life, right? Like that, that it shouldn't be just like, oh, this is an epidemic, and we figure out how to, like all of this should validate what God has already said. Because as we, as we talked about, even our vision series, like um, this is why we're doing this, because we believe that we are made for redemptive relationships. We're made to be in community. Um, we are made in the image of a relational God. And so the first point today is that we need relationships because we are made in the image of a relational God. If you, if you look back to Genesis 1 and 2, uh, there's all sorts of language about the Trinity and it's a, there's throughout the Bible. And it's a really difficult concept to explain because our minds just really can't wrap fully around it. But what we can't deny is that our God exists as, as one one. God, but with three persons. And we see this language, we see it evidenced all over, and I'd love to talk with you more. I can't spend uh, today's sermon um, explaining the Trinity, but what is really clear is even in the creation account in Genesis 1, it talks uh, like the language there is God saying, let us make man in our image. And what we see is that there's, there's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son in community together long before we ever existed or the earth or the universe ever existed, they were in perfect relationship with one another and that we are made into that image and invited not only into relationship with him but relationship with one another because we are made for relationships. You think about the, the law that Jesus, that, that, that God gave and that Jesus affirmed whenever uh, they ask him what's the most important commands, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you think about that. You, and remember, we always talk about why does God give us the law? It's not just to, you know, so he can really enjoy that we're obeying him. He gives us the law to lead us to life, right? Like he, he says, this is how life is going to work best. 
So first of all, you need to have a relationship with me. You need to love me with all that you got. And the second thing, if you want life to go well, is to get your eyes off yourself and love your neighbor like you're actually loving yourself. Interesting, isn't it? Like that that is what Jesus, he boils it down to that. You're doing that, you're loving God with all you got, and you're loving your neighbor as yourself. You're going to have a deeply satisfying life that has nothing to do with success and material gains, but just with what your soul needs. Arthur Brooks affirmed this. He kind of has this bizarre career out of uh, the music world and into just studying um, economics. And then he really just got fascinated with uh, what, what makes people happy. And he did just copious amounts of research and study and thousands and thousands of articles. And, and he, his research boiled down to this, that what people need for happiness is four simple things. First is, is having a worldview in which they can make sense of death and suffering in this world. So the first thing he says is they need some sort of worldview that can help them make sense of death and suffering. Secondly, he says family. Is there, is there people at home that care about you, whether you come back home or not, or like that you have a sense of a bond with uh, people and familial relationships? And then thirdly, he says community or friends. And this would be narrowly defined as what, really like two or three good friends. It's the third thing he says that people need just for fundamental happiness Worldview, family, and then friends. Again, just two, like two or three good friends. And then lastly, meaningful work. To know that what they do matters. Not to have a meaningful job per se, but to know that, what they're, that, like, that their day when they get to work on a Monday morning, what they're doing matters for the world and for the people around them. And I'm just like, man, that, like, as you read some of the stuff that, that people outside of the faith are writing about what makes sense in life, I'm just like, yeah, like the gospel, right? Like, read, like this is the gospel. Like God provides all of that. He explains to us why there is death and, and why there is suffering. He gives us family, whether our biological one has it or not, like whether they failed us or not. Like he invites us into this family. He provides for us a community that is bonded deeper than just relational affinities. And, man, he redeems our work beyond like, whatever we're doing, we do it unto the Lord and for a purpose. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But, but this is why the church is so important, because God has, has called us into relationship with himself and offered us abundant life. But it happens as we do that together. The New Testament is full of language about belonging. It's full of language about belonging. And furthermore, there are 59 mentions of one another commands of do this to one another, one another this, one another that. There's 59 of them in the New Testament talking about like this is how we experience the life that God has for us. This is how we be the church and show the world the manifold wisdom of God. It's as we love one another, which Jesus said, right? John 13, 35, that, that they will know us. They will know, that the world will know that we are his disciples because we love one another, right? It's interesting. And this is why it says in our passage today in Hebrews, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 10, 24, or actually 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. This is why the church is so important. And it's not just speaking of community groups. It's talking about the gathering together uh, in general, but it's important that we come to church. And, and there's a lot of talk about like, you know, online church and digital attendance and things like that. And I think that that, that you know, the internet and those sorts of things, the technology provide us some really 
good ways to stay connected when we travel or when we miss a Sunday. We can catch up on the sermon and a really good way for people to check out our church before they step into it. But nothing's going to replace the gathering together of the saints. That God has something rich and and meaningful and really essential to our lives that happens when we gather together. And then more than just gathering together and facing forward, and uh, you know, here we gather together in community, and, and it's important. It's, it's hugely important. And we're going to, here at The Journey, we're going to double down on this by uh, implementing a new service. Some of you have heard a little bit about it, but we're going to start meeting on the first Sunday night of each month here at the church for Journey First Sunday night. And what it is, is it's really a gathering of all the community groups, but it's also a place for those of you who aren't in community to come and get connected. And so we're going to gather together all the community groups and uh, core people of our church, whether you're in community, it's a great place to connect. It's not just for community groups, but that's kind of the idea that we're all gathering together for one night. We're going to share a meal every month. We're going to share a meal. We'll potluck it sometimes. We'll, other times we'll have it catered in. Um, but we're going to share a meal on the first Sunday night, and then we're going to mo- come in here for a really a unique service where we're going to celebrate together. We're going to share testimonies. We're going to look at what God has done. We're going to hear from one another. We're going to talk about what God has called us to as a church um, and celebrate the way that, that he's accomplishing those things. We're going to hear um, the introduction of the topic that each community group will be talking about for the, the rest of the month. And so it's not going to be a sermon. It's going to be these shorter pieces of that. And then we're going to move into an extended time of worship and prayer that's going to be more intimate, more low-key, where we're going to pray for one another, pray with one another, and worship the Lord, serve one another. Like, I'm really excited about this new rhythm for our church. And so we are going to double down on not neglecting to meet together and, and really connecting with one another as much as possible and seeking the Lord and making space for the Lord to do work in our midst by this first Sunday service. So we want you to uh, pl- make plans to be here. It's on your app. We would love for you to sign up because we will provide food and child care. Um, actually, this time you're providing food. We'll do potluck this time and we'll provide the next ones. We'll do, probably do potluck once a quarter is what we're thinking. But anyway, you need to sign up. It's on your app. If you have questions about it, make sure you go to the details part of the sign up so you can uh, say what you're going to bring and all that. But, but plan on being here because this is like we, we believe that like the church needs more community connection opportunities, not less. More community groups, not less. And so we are actively pursuing all of that. And so um, the, the, the second thing, we need community to provide a purpose beyond ourselves. We need an expanded view of ourself. Uh, author Sebastian Younger talks about the effects of reassimilation on soldiers into American life and the rates of suicide and other issues that, that soldiers that have been to war particularly um, experience as they kind of come back and try to assimilate back into the world. And he relates it. He, he would propose, and this guy was a war journalist, spent a lot of time in the Middle East with guys, but he would propose that it's actually about less, less about the trauma, like the struggles that many soldiers face, less about the trauma that they've experienced and, and more about the, the stark contrast between the life that they experienced as a band of, of men and women that are fighting together for a cause, right, and with a cost, Meaning that they not only have a cause, and whether they agree with it or not, like, the cause is keeping my brother alive, right? Keeping my sister alive. Like, fight, like, what I do clearly matters, because if I don't do it well, someone else can suffer and even die, all right? And that creates this bond that's not about whether they like each other or not. It's about, like, we're, we're in this together, and they experience this life. They, they know exactly what they're called to do and, how, and, and what they're, they're, you know, assigned to do, and they have this band of people that they live with, eat with. Um, sleep in the same place with, all of those things. And then 
when they, when they exit that world, they come back into the world of America that I described earlier, where we're increasingly individualistic, right? And, and people are increasingly wondering, does it matter what I do? Does my work matter? They come back into that world, and there's this sense of, there's, no, there's not this sense of us. There's not this sense of a community that, that, that has a cost to it. And it's unsettling in pretty significant ways. And the rest of us are kind of used to it, and it, it affects us in different ways, some of which I, I talked about earlier, the stats of physical health. But, but the, the interesting point there is that there's this disconnect between having a life of purpose and having a, a people to live out that purpose with that brings us to life. And when we don't have it, we are longing for something like that. Like, there's just, it's, it's really undeniable in, in just your study of, if you're just honest with yourself about the world. And, and here's, here's where community matters, and in, in, in the church. Like, the passage that we read there, the passages that we read in Hebrews this morning, they had consequences, right? There's extraordinary cost. If we don't do, if we don't live in the way that we're called to live with one another, then there is a cost to that. Verse 12, Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another to every day, as long as it's called today, as long as we're in this age before Jesus comes back, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It goes on in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 that we read. And it says, um, Let us consider how to stir one up one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What he's saying is, listen, we, like you don't just do this on your own. You don't just follow Jesus on your own. You can't do that. You need, we need one another, and, and the reason we need one another is because we don't show up, and if we don't care about one another. We don't speak into one another's lives. We don't carry burdens for one another. We don't love one another, confront one another. Then what's going to happen? He says, then we're going to slip into dark places. We're going to start believing lies. Our hearts are going to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And there is a cause, like, people start falling away from their faith, like, start struggling in a way that they're no longer living out the gospel, abundant life that God has for them. There is a cost. And he says, and all the more, you do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you're looking ahead and knowing that the end is coming, you know what Jesus is up to, that the kingdom is coming on earth. And one day it's, it's going to end with him coming back and all those who have bended their knee and, and, cried out to him a savior are going to have a life of ruling with him on this earth but those who haven't are going to be sent to eternity in hell like that cost is is raised significantly when we look at okay my brother and my sister needs me and we've all been around marriages that have crumbled we've all been around people that we've found out are in in deep dark trouble and we didn't know because our relationships were just surface level We've all been around that, right? Everything seemed okay. We thought things were going well, and then we find out that the house is on fire at home, right? We find out that so-and-so, like, and it's tragic. And we look back and go, man, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have, like, this is why it's important that we don't take the gathering lightly, that we don't just come when we can't, like, we don't just go to community groups sometimes, that, that we commit to this, we covenant together, and we say, I'm coming because I need you and you need me and we're committing together, right? We're going to be a family. I got your back. I'm showing up and I'm like, I'm watching for you in, in the same way that in battle, if those guys don't show up for one another, it's not just the cost that it may have on them. Like they may cost their brother and their sister their life as well. And we need to feel that way, that 
community matters. It has a cost. And the thing that Sebastian Younger would say we're all craving, the gospel provides for us, not just a, you know, a feel-good community to enjoy one another because we're in the same life stage, but a community with a purpose and with a cost. We need community because we need a purpose beyond ourselves. <clears throat> He says, take care, watch out for one another. Like, let us see how we can stir one another up. Like, it should be intentional. How can I encourage so-and-so? How can I show up? How can I carry their burdens with them? How can I be with them? How can I let them know that they're not alone? What can I do? How can I speak truth to them? How can I confront this sin in them? Because if we really love somebody, like, we're not going to let a a dangerous pattern keep going in their life, right? Right? How many of you, we've been around that, and it's, and it's difficult to confront somebody, and it's easier just to let them go, and we're friends, and we love them, but we see them headed down a path that is clearly going to lead to their harm, and we don't speak up, because in our world, we feel like we're, in, we're violating their individual, like, I'm the, you know, captain of my own destiny mess, Right? We feel like we can't speak up. We can't because we, we've, we've abused the thou shall not judge thing. We feel like we're not. Like, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's talking about a whole different deal. We are certainly called to judge whether our brothers and sisters are in sin and to speak out and call them back to repentance and love. We're not just like trying to, like, like we certainly have to guard against gossip in this, but we are to confront them to love. Like we've, this is what we're called to do, to fight for one another, right, to to love one another in such a way that we will speak up. To live with one another in such a way that, that when our community hurts, like we hurt. And not because we just have to like, well, I really need to care about this, but because we're so connected, we're, we're in, in relationship so deeply that it's just, it's not a choice, like it just happens because we're bound together. We care, we hurt, we rejoice, we grieve with one another, we call each other out. This is what makes it more than just relationships and, and what makes it into redemptive relationships. Right? Anybody can get, put together a mom's group and, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Like, it's just a group around affinity. And, like, th- those are good relationships, ones that we should enjoy and we should apologize for. But what makes it redemptive is when we are actually living real life with one another. We carry one another's burdens. We speak truth to one another. And we receive truth from one another. Next, we need community to actually fully know God. We talk about it all the time, like you can't, you can't be a Christian on your own. It's not a, you know, a individual sport. You can't go rogue, be a lone ranger kind of deal. We talk about it, but we don't really flesh it out a lot. But like we actually need one another in order to fully know God in the way that he has for us. I want to read a story, uh, an illustration to help us see that. And it's, uh, many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe and some of those famous things. And, and he was actually part of a famous circle of friends called the Inklings, and many of you have heard something like this before, but the Inklings, this, this fellowship of three friends, included C.S. Lewis himself and J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, and another author named Charles William, uh, Williams, who died unexpectedly after World War II. And in his book, The Four Loves, Lewis wrote a striking meditation on his death in an essay entitled Friendship. And he says this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights in my, uh, other lights than my own to show all his facets. 
And he says, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald, is Tolkien, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. He said, far from having more of Ronald, meaning he's just got Ronald now because Charles is gone. He says, far from just having him to all to myself, he says, on the contrary, I actually have less of Ronald. That makes sense? He's saying, when I don't have Charles, I don't fully experience, not only am I missing Charles, but now I'm missing part of Ronald because there's a part of Ronald that only Charles could bring out, and there's a part of him that only Charles, like, and, and he's talking about the loss on the whole, and he says, in this, friendship exhibits a glorious, what he calls a nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, with a very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us have of God. For every soul, seeing him in his or her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says the author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more that we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. What Lewis is saying here is that it took a community to know, it takes a community to know an individual. What he's saying is how much more is that true of, of Jesus Christ? That we know God in a more full and robust way that, in the way that he actually has for us. Like if you read, uh, you know, even, even certainly in the New Testament, but even back in the Old Testament, you talk about like, after David sins and he's grieving, like God's saying, I mean, I had so much more for you. Like if you, you thought that you, like you were bored with life, whatever, he said, if you just ask, like I have so much more for you. God has so much more for us. And, and man, if you read Ephesians 1 and 2, you hear Paul just like, he, he's using all the big words that he can to just get out this idea that, hey, church, like I want you to see and to know the, the glory that is in Christ Jesus, the incredible inheritance that he has for you, that he's given to you, the, the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of, of the love of God. Like I want you to see it, and you see it as we come together as a church, as we live life together, as you see your brother or sister go through what they're going through and, and, and walk with them and point them to God. You yourself are getting more of God. We need community in order to fully know God in the way that he has for us. Here's the deal. Like, it's pretty undisputed in psychology that, I think there's a lot of talk about nature and nurture, but, like, it's undisputed that the environment that you were raised in had an effect on your development, right? The, the environment you were raised in affected how you were developed. Good, bad, and it, like, it, it did. It shaped you. We're used to that idea of the people that are around us, the community that is around us shapes us. There are things about us that have grown up in Southern Illinois that are unique to us because it's the community around us that have shaped us. So if, if that's just true of life in general, like the, our community shapes who we are, like why would we think that God would bring about change in a different way? Like that's God's design, that we would be influenced by, shaped by, poured into by the people around us. And so as he's going to bring about change in our own life, he's going to do that through others. Not primarily, not only. Certainly your quiet time with the Lord, like there's significant things that he does in that. But I'm saying you're going to miss out. You're, going to, you're not going to get the fullness of that because he wants to change you, shape you, sanctify you through the work of his family, of his people. That's how he's made us. We, we, are, we are longing for that. Like, we are made for that, and we are longing for that. But again, I, I would just submit this, this statistic to show that, that that sort of thing is declining 
Um, that those sorts of relationships where people know us, as, as Allison mentioned, like where people just know, right? They know us well enough to know when something is wrong, and they love us enough to say something and to care for us and to call it. Like those sorts of deep relationships are fading. As early as, as recently as 1990, the average American was, was uh, shown to have about 3.5 friends. And today, just a little over 25 years later, that number is a little under 1.8. And I would say it's headed even lower. We are made in the image of a relational God. We are made in the image of a God who himself is in relationship and has invited us into that. And to think that we can do life without deep relationships is foolish. And listen, I get it. It's hard. Some of you, like, this weird transition, like after you got out of high school, if your friends, like, if they moved away or they're different lifestyles, like, it's difficult to start new friendships and deep relationships as an adult, right? It's a difficult to let people in. We're not good at that. And then there's a lot of social, it's certainly easier to just, you know, check out and watch Netflix for hours on end rather than trying to do life with one another. And schedules are crazy enough with kids that it's really difficult to have dinner with a family. It's really difficult to get together. Everybody's so busy, and I understand all of that, but what I'm saying is it's worth fighting for worth fighting for. Not only has God commanded it, he's commanded it for our good, for us, out of love for us, that we would experience not only a greater sense of our own self, but of him and of one another. Like there's richness in it. And then lastly, I will say that we need to, we need community. The church needs to be a place of authentic community because we need to be a witness to a divided world. I was talking with somebody this week and it's just reflecting on our world, whether that be politics or even, even like evangelical church world and chatter online. And that's part of what online, like social media does is it emboldens people to say things online that they would never say in person, right? And so what we have is this, this polarized culture where it's either this extreme or that extreme, and there's no respect and understanding and conversation that happens in the middle, by and large. And there's a divided culture. We talk a lot about what makes us different, what divides us, what, what puts this side on the wrong side, and all of those things. And, and the world is longing to be united. The world is longing to experience unity and cohesion and, and a common purpose. Like, and I'm not saying this is the answer. We certainly don't want to, like, facilitate tragedy, but if you look at the way that, that our country came together after a tragedy like 9-11, or, or even a smaller community after a tragedy happens, there's no more we and us. It's just us, right? Like, we're bonded by that. Like, we are, like, we feel that, and we lose that sense when there's just this polarized culture where we have contempt for the other side, and, and there's all this tension. And, and listen, There's all kinds of implications to what Jesus said, that they'll know us. They'll know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Because when, when people start seeing relationships, real, authentic, loving relationships happening in the church, fewer church splits and more church plants and fewer church arguments and more church just like bearing with one another and weeping one, with one another and loving with, and, you know, barbecuing and inviting people into that, like the more we see authentic relationships come forth, like the more people will take notice. Because like I said earlier, there's nothing impressive about just having, you know, a group of people that, that hang out every week because they're in the same life stage and enjoy the same stuff. Like that's not impressive. Nobody's moved by that. But when the world starts seeing relationships take place and they observe relationships that would not, 
by no other means and in no other life would, would exist by no other explanation other than Jesus Christ has forgave us. He's made us into one, has removed the wall of hostility. Like when they start seeing that, races united, socioeconomic classes united, people from addict, like when they start seeing that diverse people gather together and live life together, then there's a witness there that is undeniable about the power of the gospel. If we want to experience true community, we have to let it be rooted in our own forgiveness. There's a story in the, one of the Gospels. And Jesus is at a religious people's, religious people's gathering, right? And all the uppity people are there. And in comes this woman who is a, a woman of the world. She's a, a prostitute, we, we think. And, and she comes in, and she just, she, she does not belong there. She has not been invited there. Not only is she a woman, she's a woman of the world. Like, there's all of this tension, and she barges in and falls at Jesus' feet and starts weeping and, and, and washing his feet with her hair, and, and she just, and, and the people are appalled. They're appalled. How dare, like, clearly, Jesus, you're not a prophet, or you would know who she was, and you would, you would make her step back, because she is, you know, violating all sorts of things, and she's made you filthy as a rabbi, and, like, you would not be allowing this, and Jesus says, listen, she doesn't need to hear your mess. You need to learn from her. Because of whom there is much forgiven, much love abounds. But when there's just a little forgiven, you still have a hardness of heart. And that's certainly my paraphrase. But the idea is this. When we forget that we, as we looked at last week, were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were without hope, that we were filthy sinners, separated from a loving, like without hope, when we forget that, that's when self-righteousness creeps in. That's when we lack empathy for people who are struggling. And that's when we don't have true community. But when we are confronted week in, week out, day in, day out, by the incredible grace that was shown to us. Because, not, it's, again, it's not them out there. It's, and such were you, right? That we all were hopeless sinners in need of forgiveness. When we gaze into the gospel and we're reminded of our own lack of worthiness, that Jesus has saved, like, we are bonded by that. And that's what allows true community to happen, because now it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what you smell like. It doesn't matter how you talk. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, because, I, man, I'm humbled by the grace of, of, of Jesus. I'm humbled by the grace that God has shown me, sinner such as I. And that breaks down all kinds of walls and makes the space for community that has truly redemptive to take place in our own lives. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for who you are, that you're a God of love and relationship, that you invited us into that, that you not just invited us, that you made a way for us to be a part of that. Thank you for the blood of Christ that bonds us together. Father, I pray that your, your gospel, your good news, your truth would fall in a fresh way amongst all of us today. Lord, if there's those that are here and don't know you uh, as their Savior, that you would give them the faith to respond, that you would allot, like that you would just meet them and call them and give them Lord, the courage to, to step forward and to receive you as Savior. Lord, for the rest of us, may we, may we be reminded in a fresh way 
just how good you are, just how much grace you've shown us. And may it be that movement that makes a breeding ground for us to experience true community here at Turner. That that would spread throughout our church and our communities that we live in and our, the, the region of Salem, and Lord, all the way to the nations. That your name would resound as we lean into the gospel and as we lead into one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.